sisters and brothers in Christ. As said, we are now at the end of the church year and our lessons appointed to be read in our churches really on the last three weeks of the church year have been about the end of the world, about Judgment Day. Now, Judgment Day is uh, kind of confusing in a lot of people's minds, and uh, the reaction to it differs from one person to the next. Some people fear Judgment Day. Other people can't wait for it to come. And, of course, the vast majority of people today don't even think about it. Well, when we were just coming back from uh, the shutdown of the church at the time of COVID a few years ago, and, uh, you know, we were not meeting even in worship. We were just streaming our worship services. And then we started to come back, and we sat at least, uh, you know, five or six chairs apart from one another. Uh, this text came up back then, too. And, and I preached a sermon on it. Uh, and I looked at that sermon and wondered how many people really remembered it and whether it needs to be preached again. And so I've adapted it and adopted it for today. I rarely do that. But it's Jesus' description of Judgment Day. And I think we should be clear about that. When it comes to Judgment Day, although our Lord was never wimpy, and he certainly laid it on the line plenty of times, his preeminent theme with respect to Judgment Day is not lightning and thunder, it's love. That might surprise you. You know, the great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we can't forget, of course, that it all begins with God. We love because God first loved us. God so, the gospel in a nutshell, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Huh? John 15 reminds us that I am the vine, you are the branches section of Jesus' teaching reminds us that if we stay and abide in his word, we will abide in love. That's what, by this you will know my disciples, that they love one another. And, and that it is that faith-filled love that will last into eternity. N not, not faith and hope, you know, faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. Why is the greatest love? Because there'll come a day in judgment, right, when we won't need faith and hope anymore, it's love, God's Christ-like love that will count on that day. So, so look, let's look at how Jesus deals with this understanding. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. That's the end of the world, folks. That's judgment day. And every human being living and dead, the quick and the dead, right, will be gathered instantly before the glory of the Lord. And I mean everybody. Adam and Eve, Noah and Moses, Rebecca and Esther and Ruth, Abraham Lincoln, Adolf Hitler, Elvis Presley, and old blue eyes who did it his way, huh? Billy Graham and you and me, every human being ever lived, whether they're alive at that time or dead, are going to be gathered together in the glory of the Lord. And among the saints and the snakes, the famous and the infamous, the only one who's getting any attention that day is going to be Jesus. Nothing else is going to matter. And in the twinkling of an eye, these billions of human beings will be separated into two groups, just like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now let me pause here to make sure you understand this very important point. There are only two possibilities at the end of the world. 
Before the judgment throne of Almighty God, there are only two possibilities, and it happens instantly, the separation. There's no talking, there's no making your case, there's no questions from St. Peter, why should I let you into heaven, you know, pearly gates and all that stuff. So obviously we have to ask, well, upon which basis then is that separation, that instant separation, how is that made? Well, we know the answer to that clearly from the rest of Scripture. The Scripture makes it very clear. It's on the basis of the name of Jesus. For there is no other name given in human history among humans by which we can be saved. It is either by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ or it is not at all. And, and, and that is reinforced, by the way, in what follows in our parable. King Jesus and the way he deals with these two groups. To those on, he, on his right, he says, Come then, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom that I prepared for you from the foundation when I created this world. This is what I intended for you in Adam and Eve in paradise. Okay? Inherit that now, finally. After your crazy detour through sin, I get you where I wanted you to be, you to be in the beginning. And to those on his left, he's going to say, get away from me. Depart. He calls them cursed. Go to the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He never prepared it for any human being. Only the devil and his angels were to be separated eternally. But because of sin, and particularly unforgiven sin, that's the cause of the judgment of those on the left. Folks, that fire was prepared for those who rebel in unforgiven sinfulness, the curse of the devil. Well, this kind of takes care of the universalism debate that continues to go on among American society, a world, world society today. You've heard it, so have I. Makes me sick when I hear people say, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Yeah, baloney. Or it doesn't matter what religion you're brought up in, they all, they all lead to the same God. <laughs> no, they don't. Every religion under the sun leads to the same heaven. No, they don't. Okay, so, so we can deal with that. But we're not done. The rest of the lesson is a story of a claim that is made by our judge that surprises both groups. Jesus says to those on his right, the blessed. He says, I was hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, and in prison, and you showed me love. And they will look at each other, and they will say, huh? When did we do that? And to those on his left, to those who are headed for the flames, he said, I was hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, and in prison, and you had nothing to do with me and headed to eternal hell, they say, huh? What are you talking about? And Jesus says in response to both groups, he says, no matter how unimportant my brothers and sisters seem to you, when you love them with faith-filled love and works, or when you didn't fill your life with faith. Faith is the issue. Faith-filled love. It was really me. Interesting. Now the lessons keep coming, okay?
In most courtroom trials that we have today, there is all kinds of evidence presented, all kinds of rebuttal made, and then the judge makes a ruling. In the final trial of the human race, however, the judgment is made first, and then the evidence is presented, with no rebuttal, by the way. And what is this evidence that is presented? It is faith-filled love. Now the difference here is we're not talking about brotherly love. The heathen, the unbelievers, the atheists, the blasphemers, they still take a cup of soup to somebody who is sick. They can show human love, and they do. Sometimes they outdo us, as a matter of fact. But Isaiah calls all that filthy rags. It's worthless in God's eyes. Why? Because there's a cloud of unforgiven sin that separates them from Jesus, from Almighty God. The only love that counts is when that cloud of unforgiven sin gets taken care of, and it's only taken care of in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. And that sets us free to do holy acts of Christian love. And Jesus reminds us that that kind of love is going to have to be lived out in the trenches. It sometimes is real dirty. It stinks. Sometimes this life stinks, figuratively and even uh, uh, literally. But we are standing at the end of the world before a judge who knows all about dirty and unfair. For our eternal judge came into the trenches himself. He really came into the trenches with us. He felt pain and temptation and sorrow. He hungered. He thirsted. He was a stranger. He was naked. He was sick with emotion. He was in prison. Jesus lived in the trenches just like us. The same one who sits on the throne descended, consent, condescended down from that throne to walk this life, this veil of tears with us. Have faith in the love that is demonstrated by Christ, my friends. The love we preach from, from this lectern all throughout the year. The love we preached at Christmas time. Love came down at Christmas. The sacrificial love that we preach during Lent passion-filled love of Good Friday and the triumphant love of Easter Sunday and throughout the Pentecost season the teaching of love that Jesus has given us in the in the Gospels and the epistles the Holy uh, Word of God that is given to us so just think about that day then there you are in this great multitude your body has been made new no more pain or sickness. Your mind has been made new. What At one time you only knew partially, now you see it all face to face. You feel no danger. You feel no sorrow. And though you are one of a multitude, it, is, seems, it seems as this as if you and Jesus are all by yourself, all alone. He takes you by the hand. He is so personal. He takes you by the hand. And now I'm speculating here, but I wonder if Christ might say to you, Words like this, I'm so proud that you let me use you. Because of you, others are here today. And then he asks a question, would you like to meet some of them? Chances are you'd be rather surprised at that statement. I mean, you figure that St. Paul, the great missionary, would have tons of people ready to thank him. Or maybe an evangelist, you know, like Billy Graham or somebody. 
But me? Huh? Most of us wonder if we have any influence at all in the kingdom of God. Most of us can relate real personally to those words in our text. Lord, when did we do that? When did, when did we do that? And at this point, Jesus again, with wild speculation here, Jesus might turn to the crowd and say with his hand on your shoulder, do we have anybody here who was influenced by this child of mine? And one by one, they begin to step and walk forward. The first is your neighbor, that old crusty neighbor. You're rather surprised that he's even there, quite frankly. And uh, he says, you know what? You never knew that I was watching you, but I saw you go to church every Sunday, and I saw you act with humble love towards the rest of our neighborhood. And then here comes a cluster of other people, maybe a half a dozen or so. One of them speaks for all the others and says, you know, you helped out at the church it, with our youth program years ago when we were kids. Oh, you didn't say much with your mouth, but you opened up your house so us Christian teenagers could come and have youth group in your basement. You know what? A lot of us grew in our faith right there in your basement. Hmm. And the line continues, and a coworker notices, somebody you work with, how when everybody else lost their cool, you never lost your temper. And a receptionist remarks how you greeted her every day with a smile and a good morning. Someone, somebody you don't even remember reminds you of the time that you saw her in the hospital. Oh, you came to visit somebody else, but she was in the next bed. And before you left, you even said, God bless you, and said a little prayer. It meant a lot. And you're amazed by the people who step forward to speak from other countries. You've never left the good old U.S. of A. But look, there are Cambodians and Nigerians and Colombians. And then Christ reminds you of all the missionaries you supported with your mission dollars, huh? church offerings. And he told about times when in your voters' assembly at church, uh, other people would be uh, trying to balance the budget by cutting missions, and you always stood up and said, wait a minute, we ought never cut missions. Huh? And so now Utan from Cambodia wants to say thanks, and Kinsley from Nigeria wants to say thanks, and Maria from Colombia. And Jesus isn't finished yet. I think he's saved the best for last. You've listened and, to your neighbors and your co-workers and the people you hardly know and foreigners that you never knew. But there's another group. Jesus kind of parts the group and here they come, the ones whom you really invested your life with, your family. Your spouse comes and gives you a big hug. Oh, there are times when you wondered whether either one of you were going to make it. But then they whisper in your ear, thanks for sticking with me, honey. And then there are your parents. There are no, they're no longer frail like when you last saw them before they died. Now they're renewed and they say, we're so proud of you. And then here comes the kids running, kids that you cared for, for whom you really invested yourself. They know how hard it was for you, and they thank you, and thank you, and thank you. And then comes faces that you don't even recognize. You have to be told, these are your great-grandchildren, and your great-great-grandchildren, and your great-great-great-grandchildren, and they were all born after you died. 
You've never seen them until today. And they thank you over and over and over for being faithful in passing the faith from one generation to the next. Quite a picture, huh? Will this be like heaven? I don't know. But if it is, I can be certain of two things. First, the glory of that moment will be way past anything I could ever try to describe for you. And second of all, if a moment like this occurs, you will be certain that you will never regret any sacrifice that you made for the kingdom of God. The hours of service you gave to Christ and his church, you'll never regret them. The money you gave, you'd give it all over again a thousand times more. The time you helped the poor and loved the lost, you'd do it all again. Heaven knows no regret. Our God is too kind to let us dwell on opportunities that we've missed. No, he's going to be happy to raise up the ones that we seized. And that moment when you see the people of God and the love that they share, I dare say you'll do it all again in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. There's a verse in the last book of the Bible that we use at Christian funerals. It goes like this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from this moment on, that they might rest from their labors and their faith-filled works of love go with them. Right? Follow them. Pastor Smith, Pastor Greminger, Principal Trent, and the wonderful lay people who are a part of the leadership of this congregation, I believe they have got us moving in this congregation in a direction that is so God-pleasing. Uh, we, in the last few years, I think since COVID, have turned our direction more and more and more towards the community. We are less concerned about how much we give to ourselves and try to figure out how we can more and more give to those, the least of these, my brethren, to Jesus. Huh? For example, an amazing hunger ministry. Don't take for granted or ever laugh at Mary's hunger ministry. It is uh, unprecedented. The peanut butter and the jars of spam and, the, and all that stuff you can't imagine at Redeemer Crisis Center and 20 other uh, outposts how many people are blessed by this uh, seemingly small act of love. Lord, when did we do this? When did we do this? In Mary's hunger ministry, you did it. Or what about those quilts that we dedicate every now and then, you know? I, I, I think there's probably Ukrainian refugees who are warmed this morning by a quilt that our ladies made over in the cafeteria and we dedicated because we care. How about that comfort dog ministry we're talking about? It, it's only meant to bless others. Huh? The beautiful feet ministry of outreach where that group in our congregation goes up to Crocker Park and sets up a tent and gives out free water at uh, Christmas tree lighting ceremonies and other occasions there, right? Or uh, how about that that truck that's out in front right now. I don't know if Santa Claus is out there this morning or not, but yesterday afternoon when I was here, he was dancing away on Detroit Road, and there were people from the community driving through and saying, what's going on? And, uh, and 15 minutes later, they'd come back with a toy, all to help the underprivileged. 
uh, connected to Building Hope in the City and their ministry. Underwear and socks for the homeless we're collecting, huh? Dozens of social ministry and foreign ministry, missionary support that we, uh, that we uh, support every year with our endowment distributions. Uh, I think 40 agencies we helped this last year with uh, funds from our endowment fund. How about Cornerstone Pregnancy Support? And of course, a top-notch Christian day school, preschool and day school that we offer to our community and then beyond us, Lutheran West and Lutheran East, that we offer this Christ-centered education. This is what Judgment Day filled with love is really all about. When did we see you, Lord? Well, when you did faith-filled acts of Christian love. I've been saying it before, and I'll say it as long as I have breath. Earth is just the place for us to practice up for an eternity in heaven. As we close our church year, may God bless us, and may we anticipate an exciting year to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you pray with me? Lord of the church and God of our salvation, we thank you for the promises by which we are saved, by which we have no fear of judgment day, and the power of the Holy Spirit by which we can love one another. And we can even love those who are unlovable, that we can get down in the trenches of this life because you got down in the trenches for us. Good and gracious Lord, our prayer is, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly, even so, come. Amen.